We are in part 23 of our King series, which is the last part of that series. So we are wrapping the entire thing up. How many of you have been here for at least half or more of the series? Yeah, a whole bunch of you. All right, so we're going to conclude the entire thing. If you are brand new, I'm going to bring you up to speed and give you a little bit more of the background so you can follow along with us today. But here's what's interesting. By the time we get done with today, Israel, as it was known historically, is wiped out. How in the world do we go from a place where God had his people experiencing his presence in the promised land, his place, and it went to zero in such a short amount of time? How is that possible? What was the process? Well, that's kind of what we've been going through in this series, and now it's time to wrap this up. But I want to take you back. The Jews began by God through one particular man. His name was Abraham. Good. All right. Fantastic. Well, I have to point out, I thought the other service where three people answered was low. The, the, the sheer crickets in the room shows that we need to work on our Bible literacy. All right. It was Abraham. Fantastic. All the Jewish people just shake their head. <laughs> like, how dare you? All right. God started the Jewish people through Abraham, and he said that he didn't just need another people group. He designed them for something very specific, very unique. What he did is he said, I'm going to bless you so that through you, all nations on earth will be blessed. So first of all, they were designed out as a blessing nation. Number two, he said, I want to interact with you and be your God, your king, your leader personally, and you would be my people. Number three, I want to design out a code of conduct that will design you into a drama for the whole world to see spiritual truth. And number four, I want to use you as a way to tell the world what I'm like and what I'm interested in. Now, that's a big calling. And how did they do? Well, not awesome, right? That's kind of why we have this message today. But it should strike you as shockingly familiar. Why? Because we have the exact same calling. What is the church supposed to be? We are supposed to be a blessing organism, a blessing organization. Everyone should be better off with a Christian in their life. Every neighborhood should be better off with Christians down the street, right? We are to be a blessing place. Are Christians today in the world seen as blessers? No, they are not. And that is a shame. Are they right? Are we wrong? What are we talking about? In the same way, God designed out the church so that we would be ambassadors for the kingdom. People are supposed to be able to come up to Christians and find out what God really thinks. Does anyone want to ask Christians these days? Probably not. Why? We were also designed out to live in such a unique way that everyone else was supposed to see our lives as a bit of a drama that tells them spiritual truth. All this sounding familiar? God used them as salt and light of the world. What has he told the church that we are? Salt and light. When we talk about 
Israel's history, we're not just going into a textbook. This is personal history. Why? If you're a Christian, you are part of the family of the Jewish people. It is not just anyone's history. It's your history. Do you know your history? Because if we don't know history, we may well be what? Doomed to repeat it, right? Because what you're going to find is they're just people just like us. The struggles they go through are the same things that we're going through. Is there something that we can learn? There's a ton of stuff that we need to learn about this. So here's how God did it and where it went wrong. So God creates this people group, gets them all together in Egypt. Y'all remember this story for 400 years? They were kind of squished together. They were in slavery and bondage. And they multiplied and multiplied and multiplied. And once again, man meant it for evil. God meant it for good. They became a multitude of a nation. And they were led out by a guy named? Yes. All right. Praise the Lord. We got one. Moses. That's right. So Moses leads them out. And when he leads them out, they could have walked right into the promised land. But they chose to do it a different way. They didn't believe that he was as big and bad as he says he was. They didn't have the faith that he would take care of them. They shied away and ended up wandering around the desert for how long? 40 years. All right. But what's intriguing is when he had them, he set down a code. He came down on Mount Sinai and said, guys, you're not just like everybody else. You're unique. And I'm taking you into a special place to be a special type of people. Well, once they got in there, it went good for a tiny bit. You realize that after, in the Bible, after the book Joshua comes the book Judges. And that's when you start watching the cycle. Y'all read the book of Judges? When we do a study about it, it goes the same way. I mean, it's, I remember reading um, a, a little comic book version of the Bible to my daughter, Andy, and she could pick it out. She was like, Dad, why does he keep doing the same thing over and over and over and over again? And she was six. If a six-year-old can figure out the pattern, I think we should all be able to figure out the pattern. Here was the pattern. Man, I'm really into God. Everything's going awesome. Oh, it's going really awesome. I'm going to do my own thing. Oh, no, now I'm in trouble. Wait, I need to go back to God. Oh, God rescues them. Hey, I'm doing great. Oh, now that I'm doing great, I don't care about God anymore. Oh, now I'm in trouble and I need to be rescued. And it went around and around and around. Here's the problem. When they got done with that era, Israel said, our lives are terrible. And I'm trying to figure out what's broken. God, it's your fault. Wait, what? How come when our lives go bad, it's God's fault? Yeah, I can tell you one thing. Whatever is wrong with you is not God. I can tell you a million things are wrong with you. <laughs> it is not God. He's your only hope. He's your only help in the matter, right? Now, I'm not saying God's not causing you problems. He may well cause you problems, but he is not your problem. We are our own worst enemy, right? Okay. Well, sure enough, God ends up orchestrating it out to where he shows them this isn't working, and they say, well, the reason it's not working, it's you, and we want a king. He said, I'm your king. They said, yeah, 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 we're all into that. That's cool, whatever. Anyway, so I'm looking at my neighbors, and they have a king, and, and they get a chance to talk to him and complain to him and manipulate him. We want one of those. He said, fine, and he launched a grand experiment. 
He gave them a king. Not just a king, he gave them 40 kings. Is 40 a significant number in the Bible? Yeah, that's not an accident. How long was Moses in Egypt before he went out to the desert? Anybody know? 40 years. How long was he in the desert preparing to lead Israel? 40 years. And how long did he lead them? 40 years, yeah. So there's kind of a 40 thing going on. He gives them 40 kings and says, I will let you see the full examination of king earthly leadership. By the time they were done with that, everything was worse. What was his point? I am your only one and true king. And everyone else is going to fail you. Why? Because they can't fill my shoes. What I do is unlike any human being. The way I lead, the way I handle things is not like any other person. And you go, okay, so how do I apply this to my life? Well, well here's the thing. By the time Israel got done doing their thing, they were so off their purpose. They were so away from the whole point why they existed. God had nothing left to work with and had to scrap it all and start all over again. Are we like that? Are we so far off base? Now, we may not even know we're off base, but are we so far away from the very purpose while we're here that what? God can't even work with us anymore. It's no longer a tweak. It's no longer an adjustment. It is a, I got to scrap this whole thing and start all over again. Does God need to do that in us? Let me give you an example. So a couple weeks ago, I was leading the devotional at our staff meeting, our senior leadership team. We rotate who runs staff meeting. And every time we do that, we lead a devotional. And a devotional popped into my head. And it was a story about a guy with a withered hand. And he was in church one day. He was in the synagogue, a Jewish house of worship. And Jesus happened to be there that same day. Now, I want to talk to you about this withered hand thing. Now, imagine that you have a handicap where your right hand, which is by and large the majority of the world writes with their right hand and handles a lot of things with their right hand. His right hand was shriveled up to his body and he couldn't straighten it out. Now, in an ancient culture that's agricultural, you work with your hands, especially dudes. So now you have a man who cannot provide for his family. You have a man who every conversation that he meets a new person starts with what? Dude, what happened to your hand? If you've ever had a physical, visible handicap, everyone you meet new asks the same question. It dominates your life. So here is this man who can't move his right hand, and he's in church, and Jesus shows up. It says the Pharisees, the leaders, the religious folk in church, were watching that man and his interaction with Jesus to see whether or not Jesus would heal him. Why? Because if he healed him, it would be the wrong day to heal him. Why? It was the Sabbath. And on the Sabbath, their rules said you don't do any work, and they thought they knew what God wanted. God never said that. So sure enough, you have this Man struggling, and Jesus knows it. He knows what they're planning. So he said, hey, brother, come here for a second. Can you come on right up front? And he said, before I do this, I need to ask you all a question. Is it okay to do good on the Sabbath? Everyone's like, well, yeah, of course. Yeah, absolutely. He goes, great. Hey, brother, stretch out your hand. 
completely healthy. You know what should have happened next? An eruption of praise and applause. There should have been an increase in awe. There should have been a, oh my gosh, Jesus is right here. This is God in our midst. There should have been people falling down before the Lord in repentance. You know what the Bible says the next line was? And the Pharisees got together with the other leadership and determined to kill Jesus. How the heck did it go like that? Because you healed somebody? No, you healed them on the wrong day. How screwed up does your religion have to be that not only did you miss the Son of God, you ignored a miracle, but you also don't have any compassion for the wounded? Y'all following me? Like, how religious do you have to be to where you're more concerned with being right than that man being able to provide for his family? How religious and off base do you need to be to where you're so concerned with getting your point across, getting your point across, getting your point across? I know the right way. I know how it all should work, right? How religious do you have to be to be like that, completely miss Jesus in the midst of it and completely miss the miracle? So I'm, that's what I'm wondering. I'm wondering, are there any here where our hearts are so off base? Now, we don't call ourselves off base. We call ourselves passionate, Right? How far off base do we have to be where we no longer have compassion for people around us? Oh, well, there are those, there are no such thing as those people. Are y'all tracking with me? There's us. That's it. There is no us and them. No, 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 no. There's just us. We're just human beings. One thing I've been realizing recently, might not come as a shock to you, it did to me. I'm getting older. Right? Some of you may have noticed this. I have not. So anyway, it's very shocking. Not very happy about it, by the way. But anyway. But as I'm getting older, here's what I've been reflecting on. I've been reflecting on the fact that when I was younger, I knew a lot more. As a matter of fact, I would dare say I knew everything. And what was so cool about it is I not only knew everything for me, I knew everything for you. Which was nice. Because then I could really dictate on where you were really at in your life, and, and I could pretty much pass judgment on that. Now, now I was not, I've never had a judgmental bone in my body when it comes to sin, per se. I would just judge everything else, right? So I would judge whether or not somebody was fired up enough. I would judge whether or not somebody was really passionate about the Lord or not. I would, and then I got older, and I seemed to not care as much. I got older and realized that life's a lot more complicated and there are seasons. There are seasons where you're fired up and there are seasons when you're trying to get fired up. I realized that the older I get, I look back and I go, wow, I don't know if I know anything at all. Hmm. But it's intriguing because here you have the north and the south of Israel having split and hating each other and the south saw that the north was a little worse than them. They got wiped out in 722 A.D., excuse me, B.C. by the Assyrians. You would imagine a bunch of them were like, man, it's about time. 130 years later, 130 years later, they're in the same place. So easy to look at everybody else and think they should be more fired up. And then you find yourself in the exact same place. I would just hope that we as a family of Bridgeway, one thing we got to get right is that it's really God's job to judge people, it's our job to love them on the way. Y'all following?
I mean, because it gets, it gets a little bit silly where we're constantly telling everybody else how they ought to live. I think really there is a judge and it happens to be the Lord. It doesn't mean that we can't determine that something is a wise idea or a bad idea. We're allowed to do that. That's our job too. But as far as shutting the book on people and telling them they have value or don't have value, that is not for us. That is between them and the Lord alone. Our job, the Bible says that everyone will know that we are his disciples by our what? Love. It ain't judgment. So what ends up happening was that God said, I can't work with Israel anymore. I have to start over. So the fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you is this. Sometimes we need a re-rack. Sometimes we need a re-rack. Our hearts are too far askew. We've gotten too religious. We've gotten too off base. We're no longer loving. We're no longer gentle. We no longer are handling our sin or dealing with our anger. We're just off base. And God can't tweak us anymore. He keeps whispering to us and giving us messages after messages. Real quick question for you. How many messages have you heard in your life from the pulpit? Probably quite a few, yeah? Does your spiritual depth reflect the amount of messages you've heard? Okay, why not? Because sometimes we're listening and sometimes we're not listening. I mean, we're showing up, we're there, but is our heart soft? Is our mind open? Are we engaging with the Lord? But see, God fires message after message, talking about his love, talking about our identity, talking about our anointing, talking about our power, talking about great things. And we kind of go, yeah, whatever, I'll get to that later. Do we need to be re-racked? Is there some of us that God's gonna have to start from scratch, wipe it all out, clean slate, do it again? I sure hope not. And at the end of today's service, I'm gonna pray that our hearts and minds are so soft that God can bend us and change us right here, right now. Amen? Amen? That's what we want. All right, so in order to tell you the story about what happened and in order to get to the place where we're gonna read, I'm gonna give you a little bit of background. The last time we talked about one of the kings in this king series was Pastor Brian Kiley. He talked about a king that was super awesome. His name was King Josiah. Really, really good guy, came to the throne at a very young age, and he led the last great revival in Israel's history. I mean, everybody was excited about God again. They got rid of all the junk. They were starting to live right. Everything was starting to head forward. And in 22 and a half years, they're gone. How do you go from massive revival to getting wiped out in 22 and a half years? Well, it took four leaders to get there. In that 22 and a half years, you had four leaders. The first one was Josiah's son. You would assume since he was awesome that his son was awesome. That is incorrect. Is it possible for great men and women of God to have kids that aren't in the same way? Yeah, his son was a bad guy. He only lasted for six months and God had him pulled into prison by another nation. Six months, bad guy. As a matter of fact, that transition between Josiah and his son was when Zephaniah, the prophet, prophesied that you just heard last week by Pastor Brian Kiley. Same era. Well, then that guy's son comes to power, reigns for 11 years. While he's reigning, a new empire arises called the Babylonians. Anybody ever heard of the Babylonian Empire? Okay, it's a big deal. 
a new leader takes over for the Babylonians and his name is Nebuchadnezzar. Anybody ever heard that name before? Sure, if you ever read the story of Daniel, the Daniel in the lion's den guy, Nebuchadnezzar shows up in that story. He is brilliant. He's an extraordinary leader and yes, he's anointed by God. No, he is not a godly man. He's just anointed by God to do great things. So he gets a coalition of four other nations. They rise up and they smash through and come to power and they decide to storm through the Middle East and just start shutting people down. Well, one of the places they attack is Judah, the south of Israel. Well, they smash them. Well, the next guy's son comes onto the throne and he ticks off Babylon. They come back through and take 10,000 captives of Jews. Now, here's what's interesting. They pick the best and the brightest, most handsome, most beautiful. Do you want to get chosen for this or not? Right? Like you're like, well, on one hand, it's exile. But on the other hand, I want to be better than my neighbor. Right? Like there's this idea, oh, pick me, pick me, right? I want to be a prisoner. So they grab the best and the brightest. This is where you get guys like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. This is where you get the prophet Ezekiel. Did you all know that Ezekiel was carried out in that exile as one of the best and the brightest? Anybody ever read the book of Ezekiel? Yeah, it's like an acid trip. <laughs> Same thing, like you read Alice in Wonderland, Ezekiel. Same thing, right? You're like, did Lewis Carroll write both of the? Anyway. Ezekiel is one of those best and brightest. They take them all over there and start integrating them into their society. And during that whole period, they end up getting their last king, Zedekiah. He reigns for 11 years. He ticks off Nebuchadnezzar so badly that Nebuchadnezzar says, I'm tired of even leaving some of you around. You're all going down right now. And that's where we pick up our story. Second Chronicles, could you turn with me in your Bible to page 388, if it's an ESV? Second Chronicles 36, 11. Second Chronicles 36, verse 11. Page 388, it is the last page of Second Chronicles. We're going to read this. You can follow along with me, and then I'll read a passage out of Kings that tells you more of it. Here we go. Zedekiah, that last king of Israel I talked about, was 21 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. He did what was evil in the sight of Yahweh his God. He did not humble himself before Jeremiah the prophet, who spoke from the mouth of the Lord. He also rebelled against the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar, who had made him swear by God. He stiffened his neck hardened his heart against turning to the Lord, the God of Israel. And all the officers of the priests and all the people likewise in Israel were exceedingly unfaithful, following all the abominations of the nations. And they polluted the temple, the house of the Lord that he had made holy in Jerusalem. Let's pause right there for a second. When your entire leadership of your nation is not following God and your entire religious structure is no longer following God, what does he have left to work with? So let's talk about America. I mean, isn't, we're a nation, right? I mean, so let me ask you this. Is all of our leadership of America, secular leadership, are they following the Lord? No. Is our religious structure following the Lord? Eh, pretty good. Kind of. 
Are there people still calling out for revival in America? Yes. I'm going to suggest to you that that is the only reason why we're still here. I think that God still has some stuff to work with, even though we are no longer a Christian nation. So what my prayer is, is God may revival flood America again. Amen? Amen. That's what we need. Jesus, we need our hearts turned towards you. That's what we need. All right. So now how did God handle it? It says everybody was against him. Everybody was wicked. How did he handle it? In a typical God fashion. Look at verse 15. The Lord, the God of their fathers, sent persistently to them by his messengers because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they kept mocking the messengers of God, despising his words and scoffing at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord rose against his people until there was no remedy. That's pretty heavy. What was the point? I'm trying to get your attention. How does God handle bad stuff? He is patient, long-suffering, loving, and forgiving. But there has to come a time when you call it. And God treats his people the same way as he treats other people. See, here's the deal. If you read the Old Testament, you may get this weird notion that God is blowing people up willy-nilly. He is not. If you ever see the judgment of God fall, it is after hundreds of years and thousands of tries. Why? Because his nature is to forgive. His nature is to woo you back. His nature is to turn your heart. If God has to bring correction on you, it is probably after a really long time of him calling you back. So that you have no excuse, right? Well, God, I didn't know. You knew. You've been sitting in church, hearing messages day in and day out for a really long time, and you're telling me you didn't know my voice. You know my voice. Come on, right? All right, so how did it go down? You can just listen to me because I'm going to be jumping through some selections out of Second Kings. Listen to this. For because of the anger of the Lord, it came to the point in Jerusalem and Judah that he cast them from his presence. And Zedekiah, that last king, rebelled against the king of Babylon. And in the ninth year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came with all his army against Jerusalem and laid siege to it. Then a breach was made in the city, and all the men of Israel of war fled by night. But the army of the Chaldeans pursued the Israel king and overtook him in the plains of Jericho. All his army was scattered. They captured the king, brought him to Babylon, and passed sentence on him. They slaughtered his sons before his eyes. They gouged out his eyes, bound him in chains, and took him to Babylon. In the fifth month, the captain of the bodyguard of Babylon came to Jerusalem. He burned the temple, the house of the Lord. He burned the palace, the king's house, and all the houses of Jerusalem. Every great house he burned down. And all the army of the Chaldeans who were with the captain of the guard broke down the walls around Jerusalem. And the rest of the people who were left in the city and the deserters, and the rest of the multitude, the captain of the guard carried into exile. But he did leave some of the poorest of the land to be vine dressers and plowmen. And so Judah was taken into exile out of its land. 
And there you have Israel wiped off the map. How long were they going to be wiped out? It's interesting. The Bible tells us. It says this in the Bible. And the king of Babylon took into exile those who had escaped from the sword to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed its Sabbaths. All the days it lay desolate, it kept Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. Listen, if the dirt you live on needs a break from you, you're a bad nation. That's what it just said. It's like the land was like, goodness gracious, get these people out of here. And then 10 Sabbaths, 70 years where everything has to clear. The spiritual atmosphere has to clear. Everything has to clear. But notice it's only 70 years. God's whole plan was always to bring them back and rebuild. When God wrecks you, his plan is always to rebuild you and restore you and bless you. God does not take joy in the wrecking of his people. He only does what is necessary as a pruning that you might thrive again. There is a bunch of us in this room today that are overgrown. You guys ever had a chance to go through a major forest area after a fire? It just looks stark and ugly, does it not? Um, I got a chance to go to Hume Lake camp for my first time last year, going up again this year teaching the adults. But I got a chance to go last year because my kids were up there. And we were driving through a big part of these massive, you know, sequoia trees, this big, beautiful place, but it had been hit by fire. And it was like all this beauty was gone. But I remember a long time ago, this one firefighter had told me, he worked in the, um, uh, the county area where they clear out fires. And he said, you know, as devastating as it is, it burns the undergrowth and all the stuff that's choking it out and it purifies the land out and it can regrow fresh. Y'all, that's how God is working with us. If he has to reduce you down to ashes, his point is to always bring the beauty from those ashes and let it rise again. He is not interested in the destruction of his people. He's interested in the restoration. And there's some of us that have not grown healthy and we have so much undergrowth, he has to clear the area and start all over again. May we clear out the religious garbage and just be about Jesus and Jesus alone. Amen? Amen. All right. So you do know what happens next in the story. How do you know that? Well, in those 70 years of exile... Different prophets were writing, people like Daniel and Zechariah and Haggai and Malachi. But 48 years after the Jerusalem fall, a new empire rises up called the Persians. The Persian, anybody heard of the Persian Empire? Yeah, the Persian Empire rose up and they took over. The first king that takes power was a guy by the name of Cyrus. Now, Cyrus is not a God-fearing man. He was a Persian. He was a secular guy. He had his own gods and all that stuff. But the first year he comes into power, this happens. Second Chronicles 36, 22 says this. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, 
the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, Yahweh, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you of his people, may the Lord God be with him. You can go home. What the heck? How did that happen? No way. They got wiped out by the Babylonians. 48 years later, new empire rises up, pagan empire steps in and says, oh, I'm totally into God and his temple. And yeah, guys, go home, build it up. No way. How does that, let me tell you how serious this is. Anybody know who the Persian people are now more commonly known by? Iran, Iranians. When's the last time the leader of Iran wanted to bless Jerusalem? Okay, I think you might need to know this. They don't get along. Iran and Israel are bitter enemies, right? So th that is how serious this is. Imagine the leader of Iran goes, you know what? Man, I just had this huge move of God on my life, and I just wanted to say, I want to bless you guys. I want to come in and make you stronger. No way. That's God. See, if you don't remember the power of God, you're going to keep looking at the news and thinking it can never happen. God can make anything happen at any time in the blink of an eye. He can use a secular leader, grab him for a moment, transform his mind, have him do something extraordinary, change the whole fabric of our world reality, and he doesn't have to ask anybody's permission. You know, oh, well, that nation could never... You know, it's interesting. Um, uh, one of my assistants, uh, Nicole and her family just got back from France. Uh, she did a, a European trip. And in that, we were talking about the churches of Europe, and everybody hears about how the church is dead in Europe and this and that. She said, honestly, it really felt that way more so in France. Now, France has made a very specific effort to remove God from their society, right? And everyone that I know that has done ministry over in Europe says, there's no point. Let me tell you something. If God wants to bring revival to France, he can make France the leading dominant Christian nation of the world. Does it look possible to us? Absolutely not. Does it look dead and dry? Does it look like a bunch of dry bones? Sure it does, but what does the Bible say? He can make those dry bones live. He can bring them up and bring a revival, and we can watch them lead the whole world in Christianity, if God chooses. This is miraculous. So then he lets them go. They go home in three waves. The first wave was to rebuild the temple. Interesting story. When they get there and they rebuild the temple, it's a little baby version of the old one. It says on the day they consecrated it, the young people were cheering so loud, the ground shook. And at the exact same time, all the old people were crying so loud, you couldn't tell what was crying and what was cheering. Why were the two groups acting that way? Because the older people remembered what the temple used to be. And they said, are you kidding me? This is what we've done? This is what has come of us, that we got this little weenie stupid temple. 
And all the young people are going, I've never even seen a temple. This is awesome. And it was so much confusion. The second wave was led by a man by the name of Ezra. Y'all know the book of Ezra? That's what it's about. Third wave was led by a man named what? Nehemiah. We got a book of Nehemiah. He rebuilt the wall. And they began to be a nation starting over again. How beautiful. But unfortunately, that's where most of us stop because it's where the Old Testament stops. Do you realize that there are 400 years between the Old Testament and the New Testament? That's where most of us go, man, how in the world did 400 years go and nobody wrote about it? Oh, a lot of people wrote about it, just didn't get into our Bible. If y'all came from a Catholic background, your Bible was bigger. You got some of those writings in there, right? Okay, but in the Protestant version, none of them were considered inspired, so they didn't get in there. So what happened in the 400 years in between called the intertestamental period? Let me give you a real quick recap. Here's what happened. 122 years after the Jews rebuilt their wall, some new kids on the block showed up. They were called the Greeks. Anybody ever heard of the Greek Empire? Yeah, kind of a big deal. Now, this is what shocks me. Y'all, Greece as a nation, I believe, not too recently did what? Filed for bankruptcy. They have cute little islands, right? That everyone puts on their screensaver. I want to go to Mykonos, right? That kind of stuff. That place ran the known world. This is how much stuff changes. So sure enough, a man named Philip of Macedon leads a big movement to take over the world, but nobody remembers him. They only remember his son. Who's his son? Alexander the Great. Takes over at 19 years old, dominates the entire world. Anointed by God for world domination. Was he a good guy? Nope. Was he effective? Yep. As a matter of fact, the Hellenization process, the let's make the world Greek, is so laced, not just in the Western world. Y'all, everything that you learn and you know and you found, a lot of that's Greek. But it also affected the Eastern world. It changed Judaism forever. They became very Greek. Now, after he was gone, two families rose up and they began to rule. And everything was cool for the Jews for a while until one super bad guy showed up. He was the Hitler of his day. His name was Antiochus Epiphanes IV. He is what the Bible refers to as the abomination that causes desolation in prophecy. He was murdering the Jews, went into the temple, and what? Sacrificed a pig on the altar of God. Anybody know that that's not kosher? Right? That was a no-no. He did it to, what, defame everything, made fun of the Jews. He was a horrible man, and he led all kinds of chaos, and the Jews remained relatively quiet until he did one thing. He determined that everybody in the world needed to worship Zeus. You want to tick off the Jews? Tell them who they need to worship. They ain't having it. And one family in particular, a man by the name of Mattathias, Mattathias and his son, Judas the Hammer, Judas Maccabees led a guerrilla warfare revolution. They rise up and they came and they started killing everybody. They broke through and created independence for the Jewish people. There was a time where they were holed up and they wanted to keep the temple pure. And so they had lit a menorah and they wanted it to rise up before God, but they didn't have any more oil. But miraculously, it kept burning and burning and burning. And that's called what? Hanukkah. 
Unfortunately, that family turned out to be really bad later. They ended up killing their own people. They ended up doing all kinds of chaos. It was not good. They fell into disrepair. They lasted, however, 104 years of independence. And then the Romans came to town. In 63 BC, the Roman Empire took over everything. They taxed the Jewish people, and they put somebody in charge. His name was Antipater. You go, yeah, I don't know that name. You don't, doesn't matter. You only know his son, Herod the Great. Herod the Great was an Idumean. Does that matter? Well, he's also known as an Edomite. Does that matter? You all remember the two boys in the Old Testament that are twins, Jacob and Esau? Jacob was the Jewish people. Esau were the Edomite people, and they didn't like each other. So Rome backed an Edomite, put him as king, made him convert to Judaism. So he was technically religiously a Jew, but by birth he was an Edomite, so the Jews didn't want him. And boy, he tried everything to win him over. He rebuilt the temple to be awesome and beautiful like it was in the days of Solomon, and they still weren't having it. They knew he was a puppet for Rome. So he began to get more paranoid and more paranoid and more paranoid. And then one day he hears that a star has been found in the sky, which is what? That a Jewish king had been born. He's not Jewish. Who were the Jews waiting for? The Jewish king. And he was freaked out. And he slaughtered all the Hebrew baby boys. And that's the Christmas story. See, here's what's interesting. After 40 kings and a failure, after world conquering, after silence from God, after all the tumultuous leaders that have come and gone, in comes Jesus Christ. The first message he preaches is what? The kingdom of God is here. You want to know your real king? I'm coming here and doing it myself. You rejected me in the past. I'm now back to clean up this mess. But I am not like any king you have ever imagined. I am not interested in money. Look at me. I've got none of it. I'm not interested in your money. It doesn't matter to me because it doesn't accomplish anything. You know who my people are? They're not the best and the brightest. They're ordinary, unschooled men. They're the ones that are outcasts. They're the ones that are poor. They're the ones that are oppressed. You want to talk about my army? That's my army. You see, without, what, throwing one blow, without swinging one sword, without firing one shot, I'm going to lead a revolution of the heart, and I will transform the entire world. You want to know what a good king is like? I'm here. Are you going to recognize me as such? No, of course you won't. But I'll die for you anyway. Because I'm not about me. I'm all about you. You see, that's what real kings do. And anyone else is a sham. Amen? Amen. Y'all, can I have the prayer team come on up here? Does Jesus have to replay that whole scenario for every one of us individually for us to realize that he's the best king to run our lives? I hope not. I hope 
that our hearts are soft enough that we say, oh man, I know I can't run my life. It's got to be Jesus. Do you understand that your spouse is never going to cut it as your leader? Your boss is never going to cut it as your leader. Your kids are never going to cut it to lead you. Your church leaders are never going to cut it to lead you. They're all going to fail. Why? Because we know the standard, and the standard is Jesus, and there's nobody here that can do it like he can. Y'all, this King series is a big, long drama to say one point. It's Jesus or nothing. You see, he wants to be the king of your life today. I get it. All throughout history, everybody keeps saying the same thing. Well, trying to follow an invisible king, that doesn't really work, and blah, blah, blah. Try it. Because I'll tell you what, all the ones you can see, they're failures. You need a real king. You need King Jesus. So here's what we're going to do as we close out. In a moment, I'm going to have you stand, and I'm going to pray over you. But I want to point out something. We are here in the house of God. The Bible says that if two or more are gathered in my name, I am there in their midst. That means that God is in our midst. King Jesus is here. And since it is here on earth as it is in heaven, then that's why we have a prayer team up here that is prayed up and anointed, and, and they are here as ambassadors. What that means is before you leave, if you have any needs from the king, if you have any requirement of resources from the kingdom, then we need to be praying about it. God said you do not have because you do not ask. Well, that's why the prayer team is here. These are ordinary individuals anointed by God to partner with you in just asking dad, dad, would you change my situation? Are you allowed to do that? Of course you are. Before you leave, if you have any need that I'm not going to be covering in my prayer, that's why the team is here. Please don't leave without getting prayer. There can be breakthrough in your life today, right here at this altar. Let me pray. Would you all stand as we close? Let's pray a covering over your minds and hearts as you go today, a blessing over you. Holy Spirit, may you anoint your children. Father, that my friends and family here with me today, we are asking and saying that you're the true king. And if you're the true king, then Lord, would you make our minds and hearts recognize that? That Lord, we got a lot of distraction. We got a lot of stuff spinning through our minds, a lot of stuff capturing our attention and taking us away from you. I pray, Lord, would you for moments of every day, whisper clear and loud into our spirits, that there is no mistake that you are whispering and calling to us. Lord, may our hearts be soft that when we hear from you, we are willing to adjust and change. May we not become so religiously obstinate that we can't hear you anymore. God, may we not be so concerned with being right as being loving. Lord, I pray right now for revival to come across our hearts here in this room and those that can hear us and watch us online, that God God, it has to begin with us bowing our knee and our heads to you. That God, if we can be the blessers, if we can be the ones that love rightly, if we can be the ones that stand for what is good and right, then maybe our nation has a chance.
I pray for revival to sweep across this region, across America, that we would be able to be a part of it on the front lines carrying your banner. Lord Jesus, if there are any here today that are lacking in resource and they need some help, God, would you pour down from heaven and rise up from the earth resources for their needs? God, if there are any here today that are sick and hurting and need to call out to their God, would you rise them up in Jesus' name? Would you allow their pain to go away, their bodies to work, their ears to be opened, their eyes to be restored? God, that you would allow all disease to be eradicated in this room right here, right now. God, would you just wash over our family here and allow us to walk out in confidence. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.